You're listening to Comedy Central. Well, hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is February 15th, which means it's President's Day. And if you forgot to get your president a gift, don't worry. All those Valentine's teddy bears at the gas station are on sale right now. Anyway, on tonight's show, how Stonehenge gentrified England, COVID is now made in the USA, and you're invited to Donald Trump's victory party. Plus, Neil Patrick Harris is joining us on the show. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with Stonehenge, England's second oldest national treasure. For centuries, people have been visiting Stonehenge, even though no one knows for sure what it means. It's basically the ancient version of a Kanye West tweet. But now we're learning that if you tried to visit Stonehenge when it first went up, you might not have found it there in the same place. A dramatic discovery has linked Stonehenge to its original site in Wales. Archaeologists from University College London uncovered the remains of an ancient stone circle in Wales and supports the theory that the monument was dismantled there and then dragged over 140 miles to Wiltshire, England. Okay, I'm sorry, but that is incredible. Stonehenge was moved 140 miles? How? And also, why? What was the difference between a field in Wales and a field in England in prehistoric times. No one was like, the schools are much better there. Plus, there are so many good restaurants you can walk to. But at least now, we finally understand why Stonehenge looks so weird. It's because they took the whole thing apart, brought it to England, and then realized they forgot to bring the instructions. I mean, without those, you're screwed. Uh, maybe the stone goes here. Well, why do we have so many screws left over? Do, do you put them... I think they're supposed to be next to each other. Either way, I think it's incredible that they were able to move those giant stones. But I also feel really bad for whoever they roped into helping them. Because back then, there were no good excuses to bail on things. I would love to help you out moving the stones, but I have a cello um, recital tomorrow. Cellos don't exist yet. Yep, you're right. I will see you there to move the stones. But let's move on now to the coronavirus pandemic. The reason you got a fake ID saying that you're 65. For weeks, the big fear has been about the dangerous variants of the virus from the UK and South Africa that are now spreading around the globe. But now, the United States is getting some mutations of its own. This morning, growing concerns about variants of the coronavirus. The New York Times reports doctors have now found seven variants of the virus that originated in the U.S., spotlighting the urgent need for better tracking of cases and mutations. All of these variants had the same exact mutation. Now, that could just be a coincidence, but some researchers are worried that could this mean that the virus is getting smarter and adapting? That's right, people. There are now variants of the coronavirus that were made in the United States, which means these new coronas don't even believe in corona. And what's depressing to realize is that throughout the pandemic, the virus has been getting smarter and smarter, while us humans only seem to be getting less brain good-gooder, less brain, less good-brained. But let's be honest, this is kind of our fault, people. We as humans let this virus spread so easily that we gave it lots of chances to mutate and evolve. 
You know, it's like what happened with alternative milks. We let soy milk slide, then almond milk, and then oat milk, and now we're like two months away from the barista asking us if we want fish milk. And yeah, I do want some fish milk, please. So the pandemic is moving into a new phase, but we're still learning a lot about how so many things went wrong up until now. And it looks like one person that many of us gave a lot of credit to might have been hiding some things. Growing fallout for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and his administration over withholding COVID death toll numbers in nursing homes. The growing scrutiny comes just weeks after New York Attorney General Letitia James released a report claiming the state had undercounted nursing home deaths by as much as 50%. State health officials acknowledged the death toll was more than 15,000, much higher than originally reported. A top Cuomo aide admitted withholding data for months over concerns the Trump just Justice Department might use the info against them. Those comments sparked immediate backlash among lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. State Republicans going so far as to say he should be impeached. Wow. Really, Governor Cuomo? You lowered your own numbers to make yourself look better? Whew. Guess who just got uninvited to my 29th birthday next week? And the explanation for this, the explanation that they're going with is that they thought the Trump administration would use the high nursing home deaths against them, which, yeah, usually if you're not doing a good job, it gets used against you. That's the whole point of data. This would be like if the Kansas City Chiefs said, come on, you're gonna look at the scoreboard? Isn't it enough that I'm telling you that I won the Super Bowl? Come on! And when you think about it, messing with COVID numbers to make yourself look better is just about the Trumpiest thing that you can do. Which is ironic, since the main reason Cuomo became a pandemic hero is that he was giving informative, coherent press conferences while Trump was trying to inject people with bleach. It's like if you take a bowl of Chef Boyardee and you put it next to a bowl of worms, the fact that it's next to something so disgusting makes those worms look really delicious. Like, look, man, I don't care what anybody says. For me, you cannot justify doing the wrong thing because you say, oh, Trump might have or might not have or will have what? No, you did the wrong thing. Hey, Batman, did you kill those innocent people? I had to do it. You should have seen what the Joker was gonna do to them. Like, worse than kill them? No further questions. But let's move on now from a governor who might be getting impeached to a president who just beats impeachment in our final installment, probably, of the magical, wonderful road to impeachment. It's probably presidential harassment. Impeachment. It's the most presidential thing Donald Trump has ever done. And after a full week of arguments in Trump's second Senate trial, it all came down to this. Former President Donald Trump tonight declared not guilty of the impeachment charge he incited insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. And he is hereby acquitted of the charge in said article. Seven Republican senators voting with Democrats to convict, 57 to 43. The most bipartisan Senate impeachment vote in history, but far short of the two-thirds majority needed to convict. Yes, the bad news for Donald Trump is that seven members of his own party said that he was guilty, which is unprecedented. The good news for him is it wasn't enough. So Trump is free to go, baby! 2024, here we come! Bam, 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 bam! 
Ooh, and we getting the whole crew back together. Steve Bannon, Jared Kushner, that dude with the horns, Mike Pence, sorry about trying to get you killed, but that's in the past now, let's do this. And true to his form, Trump got acquitted 43 to 57. This dude just loves losing the popular votes. And I get, I get that it's disappointing for a lot of people, but we should know this by now. This is what Trump does. He wiggles his way out of accountability. Trying to hold Trump responsible for his crimes is like trying to kill a fruit fly. It's just like, ha, I got it this time. Then you open your hands, he's not even there. He's already halfway across the room sitting on your girlfriend's boob. And this was actually a bit of a tricky situation for Republicans because polls show that most Americans don't like Trump and think he should have been convicted. But the GOP base still loves Trump and would turn against anyone who votes against him faster than Buffy fans turned on Joss Whedon. So to make everybody happy, senators came up with a really amazing and bullshit excuse that even if Trump was guilty, they couldn't do anything about it because he's already out of office. And nobody rolled around in that bullshit more than my man, Mitch McConnell. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. We have no power to convict and disqualify a former office holder who is now a private citizen. As an ordinary citizen, unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he's in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yet. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. Wow. Yet another profile in courage from Mitch McConnell. Basically what he's saying is Trump caused the riots. Trump is super guilty. And Mitch just hopes that someday someone else will do something about it. I mean, look, nobody's actually buying this explanation. Out of anyone, Mitch McConnell is the one person who always finds a way to get things done if he wants to get it done. This dude is so effective, he has federal judges on the French Supreme Court. I don't know how he got here, but the law is the law, so electric cars are illegal. But now, all of a sudden, Mitch is coming up with excuses just so that he doesn't have to take a stand. And I just have one question, Senator McConnell. How can you even look at yourself? Uh, I never have, Trevor. Every time I look in the mirror, it kills itself. Oh, okay. But thanks to Mitch and 42 other Republicans, Donald Trump managed to beat off the charges against him. And now his friends and family are beating off in general. This was a big win for Team Trump. The former president's taking a victory lap, not showing any signs of remorse or regret. After yesterday's verdict, Trump attorney Michael Vanderveen was seen fist bumping another member of the defense saying, we're going to Disney World, as if they had just won the Super Bowl. Mr. Trump's son, Eric, posting this on Twitter, two nothing. Now that's what I'm talking about, two and oh. Obama never even won a single impeachment. Shit's embarrassing. I mean, say what you want, but Trump is the acquittal goat. Sorry, OJ, you had a good run, but Trump got acquitted twice and he's responsible for more deaths. And you might think two and O is as good as it gets, but I think Trump might even have a third impeachment in him. 
Eight months from now, Congress could just be like, oh, damn it, we just found out that Trump sold the Declaration of Independence on eBay. Well, I hope someone does something about it, but I vote to acquit. Damn it, Mitch. But for now, if you're celebrating alongside Team Trump and you want to remember this day forever, well, here's an offer you won't want to miss. It's official. President Trump has won his second impeachment trial on technical grounds. And now you can celebrate with the president with the new Trump acquittal collection, including the official acquittal t-shirt, the official acquittal blanket, and the official acquittal coffee mug. Order now and you'll get real copies of the Trump defense's used trial notes. All purchases come with a baseball bat and flex cuffs for the next time we march on the Capitol peacefully. Wink, wink. Let's save some time this spring. Be there, we'll be wild. Oh man, I'm getting the hoodie. All right, when we come back, our correspondents tell us what they learned during the pandemic. And Neil Patrick Harris is joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Although COVID is still a huge danger, the vaccine rollout is giving us all hope that the end of the pandemic is in sight. And with that in mind, Roy Wood Jr. gathered some of the news team to check in on how they spent their pandemic. Guys, the vaccine's on its way. The pandemic's almost over. So let's take stock. I know we've all been locked up for about a year now. How's everybody doing? You know, Roy, all this extra time at home really hasn't been that bad. I took up crochet and it's actually kind of fun. Whoa, are you gonna make me a scarf? Yeah, totally, right after I finish off these mittens. Wow. Michael, what have you been up to? Well. You guys know I always wanted to paint. Uh, Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, this year I took up oil painting. Wow, oh my God, that's amazing. Seriously, Costa, those are impressive. Man, I'm so inspired now. Taught myself how to play piano. Bought this one on eBay, fixed it up using YouTube tutorials. Sounds good, right? Boy, that is killer. I love it. Ronnie, what have you been up to all this time? Nothing. I just basically sat here. Oh, okay. Like, like meditation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just like freaking out in silence for nine months. Okay. Well, that's cool, Ronnie. Michael, is that a schooner? It is. Oh my God, Des, you really know your sailboats. Well, I spent a week in June studying wooden ships. Oh my God. Well, then you're gonna love this. It's the USS Constitution. Oh my God, the only It's the only wooden ship still in commission by the US US Navy. Navy. What the hell? (laughs) What is wrong with you guys? What kind of maniac uses the apocalypse for self-improvement? Well, guilty as charged. I'm rocking a six pack now. Oh yeah. Never felt better. I made some changes too. Totally revamped my diet. Got rid of all the refined sugars. Ronnie, if you want, I'll mail you some of my bread recipes. No, I don't want to make goddamn bread at home. There's so many problems out in the world. They're not going away just by making some focaccia. Actually, it's focaccia. I also learned Italian. You know, one of the biggest knitting communities is in Tuscany. Uh, Shout out to my ladies in the old country. Grazia ragazza. Oh my God, I love Italy. It's actually the setting for my third novel. It's about a Venetian prince who fell out of favor with the Pope, but then finds true love with a stable maid named Rosaria. Shut the up. Okay, who had the energy to do all this? 
I cut my hair once in May and it was a disaster. And that was it. I spent the rest of the time looking at houses on Zillow in random towns all over the country. Oh, any towns you like? No. Casper, Wyoming. Oh yeah, 82601. What? That's the zip code for Casper, Wyoming. I memorized the whole country back in April. Ugh, wasn't April a mess? The only thing I managed to do was learn telekinesis. Wow, okay, great. You guys did stuff, somehow. Looks like I wasted my year. Whoa, 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 Ronnie, Ronnie, don't be so hard on yourself, okay? Now look, I'm not a psychiatrist, I have another semester before I become one, but I think the important thing to remember in these times is that the biggest accomplishment we can make is survival. And you've done that, Ronnie, so you should be proud. Hold your head up high. You did it, man. Yeah, you're, you're right, I, I did survive. You, wait, 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 Ronnie, just a second. Done. Damn, Costa, that's awesome. Aw, he looks so sad. Oh, I know he does. It's got me feeling. Mm. Okay, so great talking to you guys, as usual. I'm gonna go stay at my ceiling until June. Bye, Ronnie. I'm with you, Ronnie. I barely learned any new languages myself. All right, when we come back, Neil Patrick Harris is joining us on the show, so don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with award-winning actor Neil Patrick Harris. We talked about his new limited series that explores the beginning of the AIDS crisis in the UK and working with Nicolas Cage. Neil Patrick Harris, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you so much, man. This is my first time on the show. I'm excited and a little bit nervous. Oh, well, how can you be nervous? I'm the one who should be nervous because I mean like, Neil Patrick Harris has touched so many of the greatest shows and movies and productions and everything that we know of. I always find myself wondering in a career like yours, do you think you have the Midas touch or do you just know where Midas is and what he's about to touch? <laughs> Man, that's so flattering. I. I like to sort of see if I can live in Kevin Bacon's wake <laughs> and be a few degrees away from the real man who's a few degrees away from everyone. I'm old, mate. I've, I've been around for a while doing a lot of disparate things. So thankfully, I get to keep working in like weird ways I'd never imagined. Acting, right. sure, uh, but like hosting award shows, weird, never part of the plot. Writing books, weird. I can just do weird stuff lately. So, you know, it is what it is. You, you've historically just been one of the most busy people out there. Like, like you said, writing, singing, uh, performing on Broadway, acting in movies, TV shows, hosting shows. So what, what have you been doing at the height of the pandemic? Because there was a period where nobody could work. So what were you doing? Yeah, well, I was working right as the pandemic started. I was filming The Matrix 4 in San Francisco, and that was right when everything started being a little bit cuckoo at the beginning of last right. year. And then I we came home. We're about to head to Berlin to film the second half of the movie there. And uh, the lockdown happened, so that got held for a while. I got COVID my husband, our kids, and we all got COVID early on. And so we were just hunkered down. We were fine, like medium on a, on a, on a spicy level. 
We were like a four. <laughs> and then, so then we were, we had antibodies and we felt fine. So we weren't, in, you know, um, as nervous as, as some right, people right, around right. us were, but we just kept to ourselves. The, um, I've been working a bit, so it was actually kind of nice to exist. We were kind of, we had finished renovating a place and we were able to move in. And I don't know, I, I thought we have 10 year old kids, my husband and I, and, and, uh, and I think it's important to be showing them the positive aspects of this as much as the negative this is normal to them it's not mm -hmm. it's a little abnormal but it's not super weird like it is to adults so we've been just acknowledging that this is what it is and spending time together sitting in each other's sauce and trying to break up fights and i really feel like i know my family more than i ever have and that's chaotic but it's also kind of fantastic so i've been i've been blessed and then i went to berlin filmed more uh, of that movie I went to Budapest and filmed a movie with Nicolas Cage. Oh, nice. I never thought. Why, why do you, wh yeah, why do you sound surprised about you? Like, I went to Budapest and filmed It sounds like you were like, uh, it was a stopover flight, and then all of a sudden you were in a movie with Nicolas Cage. The way you just said it was like, I, I was in Budapest, then I was in a movie with Nicolas Cage? Because I had just finished being in Berlin, Germany, filming a big giant movie, and I thought that was super cool, and that I can now, you know, sit back with my family for a while. And then I got an email asking if I wanted to go to Budapest, Hungary, and film a Nicolas Cage movie. Never met the guy. Never thought I'd really be in Nicolas Cage's orbit. <laughs> and in the middle of the pandemic, Budapest is completely locked down. It was one of those fly there for multiple days of quarantine, film for two yes, days. And split. Yes, I was yes. there in this hotel, everything, no restaurants were open. Oh yeah, really no. really strange, right? So just a weird time to be traveling the globe, filming things right now, this last year. But I did it, it's a comedy, it was super fun. And uh, Nicolas Cage is as lovely as you would imagine Nicolas Cage could be. Have you met I him before? That. I love, I, I haven't, I haven't. But I also haven't been to Budapest, so maybe that's how it happens. It's like I go to Budapest and then I'll be in a movie with Nicolas Cage. That's the VIP room ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, your new show that's going to be premiering on uh, HBO Max. It's already um, aired on the other side of, uh, of the Atlantic to really, really, really great receptions. And that's a show called It's a Sin. A, a beautiful and powerful story. Talk me a little through what this show is about. Well, it it sort of does does two things. It's it's written and produced by Russell T Davies, and he's prolific. He did Years and Years, a very English Scandal, Doctor Who. He's done great. The, the original Queer as Folk in the UK, and then he wanted to do something that was more personal to him, and so he wanted to do a five part sort of larger story about HIV AIDS and how it came into the UK after it had been in the States in the 80s. And no one had has really written that story. And so that's kind of the dynamic of it. It's 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 a limited series. It follows these people on the edge of adulthood from various parts of the UK that come together in London and you're watching them all live these exciting lives of possibility and you really like them. And yet you're also watching knowing that this big shadow is slowly yeah. coming over everyone. And so it's very emotional, it's very uh, educational, but not in a really pejorative kind of um, luxury way. You're you want these people to screw each other literally and have fun and dance, you know? And yet 
you know what's happening and you know what's coming. So it's a mm-hmm. really interesting mm-hmm. dynamic. Uh, I play the mentor to one of the kids, a Savile Row Taylor guy who's living kind of um, lovely, monogamous, old school, same sex uh, couplehood life uh, and is an example to one of the kids uh, in the thing. So I my part's not gigantic, but it's been really exciting to be a part of a piece of art that turns into an education in a way that people are responding to legitimately well. My job is actor. I don't feel comfortable in the role of educator. Right. I'm not, I'm not very educated. <laughs> so when I am able to be a part of something where people can be effective, where a generation who lived in the world of HIV AIDS can really have a profound experience reliving things that they had experienced. But more importantly, Trevor, to have a younger generation that quite frankly doesn't really know much at all about HIV AIDS. Right, right, that right. That really legitimately doesn't know any of it and how it happened and how it came to be and what it means now. Because essentially you can have, you know, unprotected sex, catch it, take a pill, you should be fine. Like a lot of a younger generation, that's all they know from it. So to be able to educate in a way that's still kind of vibrant, that's like, that's a really, that's a really nice notch to have on a belt. It's a beautiful story. And, you know, some of, some of the comments I've seen about it, especially from the UK, have been many of the feelings I had when just watching the first episode was, was that it's interesting to explore the paradox of the joy that was contained in a world that was overshadowed, as you said earlier, by, by, by this ominous feeling. It feels like that was important to show as well, because sometimes stories tell one side of a story, very sad or only happy. This seemed like it was a complicated reality of what it was. That's very well said. And and that's what I think is so great about it, because the 80s were that, you know, had that kind of heartbeat to it. And there's lots of scenes with people dancing in nightclubs and it's, it's there's a sexiness to it, you know? So you also, you, you get intoxicated by that. And yet at the same time, there's this, there's this voice on in, in, over your shoulder whispering in your ear saying, don't forget this is about HIV AIDS. Right. And it's a very serious topic. And so as you go, it's, you're, you're, you're concerned for the people. And yes, obviously without spoiling anything, not everyone in the cast survives because that's sort of part of the, 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 the storytelling. And then, but even in episode one, wondering who, all these people with great futures, wondering who's going to mess up and how and what's going to, like, who's going to survive. It's a very treacherous tightrope of a show. I don't know. I was, I I think Russell T. Davies has, has had extraordinary writing after extraordinary writing. He's, he, he, he makes content that is really, really vital. And, uh, and this is no different. Yeah, it's uh, it's really been well received um, in the UK, and when it premieres in the US, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how people resonate with the story and what they feel about it. Before I let you go, I would love to know how you worked on your accent because one of the one of the the the, the feuds that's constantly, uh, you know, brewing between the US and the UK is how people do the others' accents. Everyone loved your accent. How did you work on it? Um. I have a pretty decent ear for accents, but I really didn't want to rely on that. So there uh-huh. was a dialectician that I worked with a fair amount. We went through the entire script. We sort of decided what type of person he was. Right. right. 
Did you did you like do that thing where you like live in like were you walking around your house like I would like some tea please? <laughs> no, I went I went about a week early to walk around and just kind of sit at pubs and listen to people so that oh, I, my ear was just in, in 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 line for it. The hardest part, to be honest, was when we were filming. My accent, I was fine with my accent as written, but then between takes. I wasn't sure whether I should maintain the accent or whether I should drop it because I didn't want to seem like this weird method actor that like is always in character, always speaking with a posh British accent. And yet it seemed like it was equally strange to drop to it, flip out of it and right? talk with hard R's uh, the whole time in Manchester where everyone's talking like this. <laughs> and so I just kind of split the split the difference. I, I probably talked more like a Brit than an American just just to make it easier on myself. But no, man, I have a massive talent crush on the UK. I think the work that they do uh, on television, I think that the work that they do in film and on stage is is uh, really exciting and really uh, um, important. And I've always wanted to be a part of something like that. So I, I was very conscientious about not just yawning and faking my way through an accent for sure well just judging by the reviews i can safely say they've also got a crush on you uh neil patrick harris thank you for joining me on the show congratulations on another fantastic project and uh here's to the next budapest my friend <laughs> cheers man we'll see you soon i appreciate it don't forget you can watch all episodes of it's a sin on hbo max starting february 18th all right we're going to take a quick break but we'll be right back after this well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, The Daily Show is proud to launch our monochrome collection. It's a new line of clothing and gear and 100% of its proceeds will be donated to the Equal Justice Initiative. The EJI is a great organization that works to end mass incarceration, excessive punishment, and racial inequality. So if you wanna check it out, scan the QR code below or head to dailyshow.com forward slash collection, and you can support EJI and look fresh at the same time. That's why we did it. Do something good and then you get something good. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, if you're moving Stonehenge, lift with your knees. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 